there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in learning more about what a professional basketball coach and commissioner does, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest has spent more than 20 years coaching and developing players and teams at all levels, high school, college, and professional. And he also played for a dozen years as a professional. And he's currently the commissioner of the Basketball League, which started up in 2018. But before I introduce you to Commissioner Carl Nell Wiley Jr., I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays to give you a sneak peek into the episodes and the professions we're going to be featuring that week. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org, and the sign up box is right there. Now, my Java lovers, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Carlnell Wiley Jr., who has over 25 years coaching at all levels, at high school, college, and professional basketball levels. He's also the commissioner. His responsibilities at the Basketball League range from assisting with new market expansion, managing and implementing league rules, running the Summer Combine Series, and supporting the overall growth of the league. Prior to joining the Basketball League in December 2019, Carl Nell was head coach of the Mesquite Desert Dogs, which actually changed its name in 2019 from the Nevada Desert Dogs, in case that doesn't ring a bell. That is the same year that he won TBL's Coach of the Year, as well as leading the team to their first appearance in the TBL playoffs. Before coaching with the Nevada slash Mesquite Desert Dogs, Coach Wiley decided to focus on high school basketball. And for the first time, he coached girls varsity both seasons. Coach Wiley took the team all the way to the state championship. Coach Wiley spent the 2010-2012 seasons as the basketball operations assistant and quality control coach for the Reno Bighorns. At the time, it was an NBA developmental league. It's now known as a G League. That's the equivalent of the minor leagues for basketball. And that's where Coach Wiley worked directly with NBA stars like Jeremy Lin and Bobby Simons and Andre Emmett and on and on. And for about a dozen years, Coach Wiley was Player Wiley, playing for the original Harlem Globetrotters, the Brooklyn Kings, the U.S. Basketball League. He also played internationally in Paris, in Madrid, and in Tokyo. Oh, my gosh. Commissioner Wiley, <laughs> Carl Nell, hello. Welcome hello. to Time for Coffee. Okay. I know <laughs> you are not caffeinated with coffee, but I think it's fair to say you're caffeinated on life. Hello. Very good. Very good. I, I think I've kicked up on that already. You did. Awesome. Awesome. You've got such wonderful energy, uh, such a great spirit. The league it. is so lucky to have you as your players. We're lucky to have you as their coach oh, in so them. many different contexts. I want to start by talking about something outside of basketball right now. Okay. And outside of the coronavirus, it's mid-June in 2020, and I think you'd have to be living under a rock not to know what else has been happening here in the United States and what is front of mind for all of us. Right. And that is following the murder of George Floyd by a police officer in Minneapolis and the subsequent demonstrations that we've seen in cities all around this country to try to root out systemic racism that exists. Mm -hmm. I know you have a daughter. She's a teenager. She's 13. How is she doing? And how have you talked about this with her? I want to first know what she thinks. I have to be the listener here. 
she could be very frustrated coming from a biracial relationship as well. Her understanding, getting the proper information, going to the proper resources, understanding who are you confident with listening to, their open opinions to, everyone has them. The frustration that she might have, the frustration that she also sees her father go through every day, I want to just be a listener. And I want her to understand she has the proper support. We'll go to the proper resources. We'll get to understand this a little bit more. And it is time consuming. But please, let's get factuals. We have to get facts first. Okay. And then when you do it, and I have to be patient and understanding her roller coaster emotion. She might go up and down. One day she's good about it. And we feel like it's being positive. Then one day she might ask me, well, what do we need to do, Dad? Well, let's walk in peace. Let's understand why are these young people out here protesting? There's all ages and forms and everybody is out here protesting. Why are they doing it in this way? Well, they are frustrated. But then in the end, that still doesn't mean we need to be violent. Just understand it. I understand the frustration. Trust me, I'll be the first one. And I'll go back to people in high places. Please be subjected to change. Can we please update some things? We have laws that people don't have never heard of until something drastic happens. You're so now about, I like have the chokeholds. Yes, mm. never knew anybody. We had this. Mm. So understand our amendments. We'll go back to the old eighth grade now. Understanding our constitution, what state you live in, understand your laws. You also carry different laws than other states do. So that's what I'm actually doing with her. We're understanding what can we do in Nevada? What's allowed in Nevada? Mm. And then her biggest question is, well, why don't they have it there? And why don't they have it there? See, because the, the laws I feel are suited for where you are geographically. It's weird. It's funny. But you have to know that. I also told her about me traveling overseas to understand other people's culture. I know it's a tough time right now. Please be open, be patient, and respect everyone's view, everyone's opinion. I think everyone is hurt. I really, truly do. I understand the black people. I understand their frustration. I get it. But now what do we need to do? And speak calmly, speak intelligent, and watch our mannerism, how we do it. Are you gonna get anything by yelling? No. There's proper ways we could go about doing this. That's all I wish. Well, I was really touched by one of your LinkedIn posts, and that's how you came to my attention. And Thank in you. this post, you featured two photographs of yourself, one Oof. on the left in which you are casually dressed. You've got a knit hat on your head and you're not smiling. I think it was even a black and white photograph. Mm-hmm. And the other of you on the right is in a colorful suit. It was a blue suit. You had a lavender pocket square in your breast pocket. And you have a big smile on your face. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you tell our listeners, Carmel, why you posted these two photographs and what your message was? As you see and you look at the pictures and without anything I've said after, you will judge. It's just natural. I have close to $50,000 of jewelry on me. I'm in a beanie, which I pulled it down. And I always hear my daughter say, Daddy, pull your hat up. I want to see your eyes. So I'm not smiling. Am I upset? Absolutely not. I just thought I was going to be a model back then. I don't know. But (laughs) during that time, that's where I was. Okay, still the person I am today. Now, You take the hat off. Now you see me. You see my expression. I'm dressed differently. And as I hear my grandmother say at times, you dress your age. Oh, well, I didn't know what that meant. So I can't wear a baseball hat. This is an older lady telling me this, my grandmother telling me this. So now I have to be appropriate. Well, now, how do I want people to foresee me now? I'm still happy. And in my profession, this is how I would choose to dress how I would approach my profession and anybody I'm meeting. I think your first impression means a lot, okay? 
going through what I've said is everyone is going to view their opinion and place their judgment upon me through that picture. It was also 20 years ago. So understanding what's going on in all the world, I want it to really say, and there's no right or wrong answer, Mrs. Andrea, there's none. What it is, is what do you feel? What are you looking at now? And even sometimes when I look at it, I'll be the first one to tell you. And I used the word thug. I was like, well, who is this guy to the left? I wouldn't want this guy approaching me. But that guy in the right, though, absolutely. Who is he? I'm more intrigued with him now. Might be intrigued with the other one, too, as well. But what bad is he doing? He looks so bad. And I use the color black. I have black on. It's so dark. But I wasn't dark. Now look at him over there to the right. Look at his expression. And as most people say, I don't smile. I should smile more. So I smile more. I'm more accepted now. Have no hair. I didn't like that look at first, but now I'm getting into it. I get it now. And it's okay for you to initially judge me. And just the fact that you did, we come to this point now. We get the elephant out of the room. And the most important thing, which you've shared with me, and I'm sharing with you, is I think the best incredible thing has happened. They're listening now. I understand our youth. I understand you're frustrated. But guess what? They're listening now. Now talk. Speak freely. Speak peacefully. But speak. You also said, Carl Nell, I mean, you used the word that the guy on the left looked more like a thug, looked more thug-like. But the fact is, you are the same good person Mm -hmm. in both pictures. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that in this country, you have had people of color, black people treated differently in sometimes very subtle ways, in sometimes very heavy-handed ways. Very. But you wrote that the people with power must start doing the right thing. What does that right thing look like for you? The right thing is please do not be selective on judging people early on. I could have took that hat off and the jewelry off and gave you a big hug after that. Yep which I'm going to do the same in that suit. I'm going to give you a handshake and everything. I am never going to approach you and you do not know me with my hat on. I would take my hat off. Even if I have a beanie on, I would take it off and you see me. I'd do that right there if I came out of those pictures. And I would say, hey, how you doing? And give you a hug. And when I'm talking about higher people, people in office that are able to make these decisions, But I think it starts with the normal day, people walking and what's being said at home. You know, I went further. If you go further down and you're reading, it starts at home. What are we telling our children? What do we know? Because sometimes as adults and we do have kids, we go tell them what we've been told. Do we really know? Has it been changed? Can we add on to something? Can we take some things that might have been a little bit more exaggerated? Can we open them up to culture a little bit more? To understand why is that black man looked upon that way? Is it the color of his skin? Is the way he acts? Does that mean I was going to curse you out? I don't know. But Cornell, if I could just, and I want to couch this by saying that if anything I say is offensive, please tell me that is the farthest thing from my intention to say anything that would be considered hurtful. But when I hear you say that you should take your hat off as you're approaching me, my feeling is you should be able to keep your hat on. Why should the way that you are dressed provoke? It's what society has driven. Yes, it does. But I'm 6'4". I'm approaching you. It could be abruptly. Mm -hmm. It could be just, hey, I wanted to get to meet you. I'm going to show you, and that's just me from that picture on to probably when I was a kid. It was always taught you take your hat off when you walk in a building as well as I approach you. And I understand that now. Look at us now. We're walking around with masks on. Right. Holy smokes. That's incredible. And now, guys, people are putting their hoods on. And 
with masks on, which would before ours, you walk into the store, you're robbing it. Let's all put the cameras on them. Let's put uh, mm. an employee on them. There it is. Now it's not too much. It's not too much. And it's okay. I get it because you don't know where your background's from. There's a lot of people that only know a handful of black people. Mm. I tell my friends now, and uh, let's just go back a quick example is I told my girls when I coached them, I had all little white girls, loved them. And the first thing I asked them, do you know anybody black other than me? And you know, one of my best little players, she was a freshman and she said, coach, do halfies count? Now, oh. the, it's about 100 people. Now, hold on. That's not offensive. No, that's not. That's her saying. Now, I have to understand, honey, what's Hathies? Well, that's my daughter. But we don't know their lingo that these you are using now. Yeah. It's not what we used to call people before. You know, I don't know. We just called the mix. But now those are the questions we need to be on now. Nothing else. And it's totally fine. I'm not offensive to that, Yeah. especially with the youth. So I also want to pass out something. I don't know if it helps in any. People can view this totally different. But I say now, allow them to say it now. If you need, well, I, we use the N-word. Well, why do we use that word now? Because it's cool. We hear it in a rap song. Well, no, don't use it. It's improperly used. And you can't say it. And understand why you can't say it. I don't know. We don't know what they're doing. When have we taken the time to understand the youth, the way they talk, the wordings, mm. and it's just by hearsay? Well, you say it now. If I said groovy, if I brought the word groovy back in, it'd be said again. It'd be trendy again. Well, maybe so because you words. said it. <laughs> <laughs> it it's just is very baffling that we have to watch our speech. And it's very shocking. And we say it now. We're listening. When is the last time you can have a conversation and talking about the black and the white? And there's now that could be conversations talked about with a white dad that a black man married his white daughter. Now they can talk. They couldn't before. Now they're talking. Now they're having a conversation. And they all were in fear. I would fear now that I have my daughter is feared that I'm going to sit down with possibly a white man and say, hey, guys, understand this. I understand my father now saying, I'm not worried about you guys. I'm worried about my grandbaby. I get it now. I do. But guess what? We're talking about it. That's all that was needed. That's why they're acting up. They just wanted to be heard and not said, oh, my, you know, there's no one, no way. A black man walks by and a woman grabs her purse. You don't know that feeling. I do. We're talking about it. And it's not. And I was telling someone the other day, this is touching. I grew up, I didn't want to use the black card. I didn't want to always think because I wasn't successful is because I was black. I really want to share that with our youth and your viewers. I didn't want to use that. I always looked at me as the same. I always fought for it the same. I've wanted to get great grades because I said I couldn't or I was expected not to. I wanted to do right more than wrong. I didn't need to act up in a way to get attention. See what I mean? Mm -hmm. I acted the right way to get attention and the right attention. Now, when you say the elephant in the room, I actually didn't want to be that 3.0 student because now I was being made fun of. By what? My black race. Oh, you smart. Oh, you're a nerd. See, I put my own self-confidence and self-competition on what well, they say I'm going to be bad. I got to do the opposite. I'm going to educate myself as much as I can because I don't want to talk ignorant. Mm. So I'm going to pick up a book. I'm going to take my butt and the doggone library and open it up and read. And I'm fascinated with reading. And then I'm going to get my buddies. Hey, so you said this walking to the park. That's not true because it's right here. And I'm not proving you wrong, but I had a way about going about doing it. And it's okay to be wrong right now with people in high power. Just change it and apologize and say, hey, I'm very sorry you guys went through this. How hard is it just to say my mistake? I know I can't stand that word when you go, my bad. No, it's not your bad. 
You didn't understand. We're going, moving forward. What's the change now? What are we going to do now? It's okay to tell the youth, you know what? Do the this. You guys are right. We're going to take a look at this strongly. And we're going to really put this in strong consideration. Okay. Now you have my ear. Now I'm listening. But to move further, lives matter. Everyone's does. We're very sensitive to certain things. What is very important to me might not be too important to you. You've never lived it. I get it. Moving forward. What is your industry, the professional basketball industry, like for black professionals like yourself who are in management and coaching? So I'm going to pretty much say we're predominantly 90%, okay? So we're helping each other out. But now understand in our league, which is very, very fascinating and wonderful, is our president, David Magley, is a white man. And he's married to a black woman. They've been married for 38 years. Wow. Outstanding. And for them to go that long and understanding, we we couldn't imagine what they went through. Oh, yeah. And both being graduates at Kansas, the fabulous University of Kansas University, and during that time, and to have interracial children is just totally awesome. You think of that, and there's your push. That's what you reach for. Our profession is pretty much all black athletes, as well as front office. We have a couple, I think me and Mrs. Magley, and then we run pretty much the youth. we got a couple interns that are just awesome, and they're not black. They're white, so they're learning to work with everything, and all of us, and predominantly black players. You know, it's very eye-opening that a lot of black men haven't had the opportunity to become head coaches. Just when they do, I hope they're prepared. I hope they're ready because I also feel this much, let's not holler at what we need and then we're not ready for it when it happens and we're not prepared. So with me and the commissioner wise, I'm all for it. I would like all races around that we know that we can become a team and we're understanding each other's culture. But let alone that, understand each other's background and upbringing. There are some children that are now black that have came up in great neighborhoods because of what their parents have provided for them. My daughter's one. You think she's gonna live like me? Absolutely not. There's the change in itself. And she's very open to all people and all races because love has no color. Enjoyment has no color. If you enjoy being around someone, you shouldn't worry about their shape, sizes, and color over your enjoyment and love for them. Absolutely not. Amen. What advice do you have for young African-American men and women who want to break into professional basketball? What is the environment? You've already touched on it, but the broader environment like in not just the basketball league, but other leagues. Is it welcoming or is it suspicious? Is it filled with microaggressions? What is it? It sounds like maybe it's predominantly African-American. Yes, it is. Just be professional. The way you carry yourself doesn't matter. But if you want me to speak, particularly just to the black people, just please be educated. Be patient. There's a way about doing it. Do it subtle. Do it very intelligently. When I say being professional, carry yourself as a pro. Dress. Look amongst them. Look amongst the great of all colors, all races. First impressions mean a lot. I want to see you confident coming into anything. Pro basketball, yes, but this goes around anything. But basketball, be ready. You know, and you're talking about this sport. In particular, you know it goes fast. You know it has its ups and downs. You know there's a winner and a loser. Don't ever use excuses and continue to learn. Continue to learn because you have to spread it throughout your organization. And as a coach told me once, don't be that guy. What's that mean? Don't be that guy that's high maintenance. Are you different? Are you treated differently? Well, I don't eat this. I don't like this restaurant. Well, you better find something on that menu. Can you compromise? 
Are you willing to change on site? Somebody gets hurt. Are you ready? We're talking about my sport now. So in this field, you have to be very open, very confident, be stern, think quick, think smart, and give energy. Please communicate. Lack of communication brings a lack of misunderstanding. Can you communicate? Are you upfront? Are you honest? Are you a sucker driver? You know, who are you? And that's coming into this now more than anything. And know your stuff. Just know it. Know your strengths. Know your weaknesses as well. Are you willing to work on them? I know things are very hard to learn. When you learn new things, you kind of step back like, oh, gosh, now I kind of feel a little weird, you know, less of a smart guy right now. But who are the teachers that are in front of you? Who are you learning from? Do they empower you to help you? Do you feel supported? You will feel that way in our league at all times. Well, your job since January of 2020 has been as commissioner of the league. What does that mean? What do you do and what are your responsibilities? I'm overseeing all the teams within the league. I'm enforcing the league rules, policies. I provide teams with guidelines, recommendations regarding players, facilities, as well as managing ownership decisions. Because in the past, I've been a player, coach, owner. So I really understand all layers involved with owning a team. Okay. And now that the league isn't in season, what are you focused on doing? Well, my day consists of, I wake up about four, five. I'm always start with my emails. I want to make sure things have changed in the world, right? So I want to tackle any situation first. So I want to read. And I wait until afternoon and after lunch to respond because they keep coming in. And sometimes it's an overlap question, right? So right now we're getting a tentative schedule with our combines getting set. We have to understand and go with rules, okay, that are abided by different states, their protocols and understanding them. And then I have to foresee that our teams that are in our league, are they up to compliance? Are they prepared? Are we doing the temperature things? Are we washing our hands to the guys do not want what amount are going in the gym? How many can we have? What's needed? You know, just to make sure, first of all, everyone is safe. Everyone is scared to death. We want people to feel safe in coming to our combines, making these appearance. The safety is just, I can't stress enough how important this is to me because I understand people don't talk about it, but they're fear. We're very scared. We don't know. Get my resources. I have to get knowledge. I need to be knowledgeable about it before I can pass it throughout our league. So I'm going over it. I'm going over reviewing handbooks still. I'm placing other teams that can help what they need and how their players will understand this. And things will be normal, but a different normal now. Especially for our young listeners who may not be interested, may not see themselves on the court, but see themselves more maybe wearing the suit on the sidelines or in the front office, how can they find out which teams, which franchises may be hiring for entry-level positions? Make sure you go on our website for that. That's like the obvious. And now, if you don't mind, pass my number along, doggone it. Okay. The listeners out there, absolutely. Call me. I pride myself on returning every email and phone call. I absolutely do. Well, I'll make sure to include it in show notes for sure. Thank you. And what are all the different functions that a team needs? Like what's a good way for them to get their foot in the door other than volunteering? You can always jump on either the scores table, director of operations of basketball, helping a GM, assisting with player personnel, developing. If you're good on the court, be great on the court. If you're good at getting players, do that as well. If you need to also get into, you want to be the vice president and oversee the whole team in general, can you travel? Can you help him with traveling? Can you help him with getting the plane tickets, getting the rooms, 
there's different people and different avenues that's needed. Are you a team manager or do you like equipment? Can you get the ordering done? Can you make sure everyone is fitted, have the socks and just the gear? It takes the less stress off of a coach. So going into that, looking, and then also remember where this game is going. Statistician, the analytics is just awesome right now. Are you good with numbers? Do you want to keep stats? Is that what you do? Anything is helpful. We have video. A lot of people are doing videos now. The live streaming. Can you go around and make sure the league is well prepared? There's streamings up. Everything. Absolutely everything across the board. Start when you first walk in the gym is available in our league. Awesome. Awesome. I just want to flash back to when you were an undergrad. You studied social sciences at Bethany College of the Assemblies of God. But when you graduated in 97, did you have any idea what you were going to do with that degree? I didn't. I knew I wanted to work with people. I was such a people person and I was so ranged out. Coach, I want to pick up on something you said. You said that there are times you come across young people who are maybe beating themselves up a bit because they're saying, but I got my degree in this and I'm not using it. I just want to share, based on the hundreds of professionals that I've interviewed on Time for Coffee, I have come to see that the major, whatever you studied in college, and you may have taken classes in a bunch of stuff, but whatever your major is, try not to think of it as the tiny house that you're going to have to squeeze yourself inside of and live inside of for the rest of your life. Yes. And instead, think of it as the foundation of a professional skyscraper that you're building with each new job and each new career adding a new floor in that skyscraper. So you haven't wasted your time. Far from it. Mm. You are pulling all different kinds of skills from whatever that major is. And the other thing is, is that look where you are spending your free time. Where are your extracurriculars? And I'm going to have a little spoiler here. All right. (laughs) The coach played basketball when he was in college. Okay. So how did he use his degree in social science, his love of basketball, his being a people person? Hello. Hello. He went and he played basketball and then he evolved and he got his graduate school degree in physical education and fitness. And then he evolved and he got into the coaching and he continued to evolve and he became a commissioner. So it's a journey. And I love that we heard Coach Carnell say that he did not know what he was going to do with that degree. But it worked out and it always work out. Yes, it will work out for you, too, if you follow your interests. Yes. Does that resonate with you? Oh, my gosh. You gave me chills. Are you kidding me? And they have to see that. They have to feel that. Don't limit yourself. You've got it. You've completed it. Now move on. Go. Yes. What's next? And Broaden you, your horizon. You can't Get it. make a mistake. And I'm saying this again after interviewing hundreds of people. It doesn't matter where no. you start. It no. doesn't matter. No. You have not limited yourself. Even those really awful experiences, and we're going to touch on one that the coach decides he wants to share with us, because <laughs> believe me, I'm guessing he's had a whole bunch of them. But even those experiences Even when you have failed, and I have been fired twice in my 40s, and I promise you, I look back on those experiences as gifts, as gifts. I am so grateful that they happened. That doesn't mean that they didn't suck. That doesn't mean that they weren't painful. (laughs) It doesn't mean that I didn't, you know, feel miserable and like a loser and all of that. But the thing is, it helped point me in the right direction that I was supposed to go in. How did you find each opportunity, Coach? Because, for instance, after you went to work at Montana State, 
you went to the Reno Bighorns. Oof. Okay. And you were involved Oof. in basketball operations. You were an assistant and a quality control coach. And they are now an NBA G League. So they're now the mm-hmm. minors, right? Mm-hmm. And you worked yes. there for two years. Yes. How did you and find that, like that opportunity? I had a very close friend after Montana State saying, I got into NCAA and because I was a little bit, I was upset, to be honest with the NCAA. I didn't understand about the award and benefiting rule. I would never cheat. I'm not a cheater. I just didn't understand that if my kids were hungry on campus, why I could not provide them with a meal, you know, but there are rules to this and I didn't understand it. So things were changing in the NCAA that way with me at Montana State. And my buddy, I can mention his name, Phil Handy, that works with the Lakers now said, see Wiley, come with me with the Bighorns. There's a development team in Reno. You know, we were in and out of there doing workouts. And he said, Eric Musselman, which is a great coach now in Arkansas, love him to death. A year with him was like 10 because it was a constant understanding of a professional athlete being a pro, being solid on your job, being knowledgeable, getting characteristic checks of players, understanding their background and their history, what they're going through. So the job came upon me and a lot of people always used to tease me. Coach, you need to go to the pros. Oh, you need to do this. Oh, you need to do that. But I wanted to try it. And I go back to just being well-rounded. You know what I mean? So I understood to work with a professional time, being the quality control coach, Eric Musselman wanted me, coach wanted me to kind of do it all. He wanted me to do film. He wanted me to do scouting. He wanted me to sit in on the trades and talks. He wanted me on the floor to be the energy buddy because there was guys that were down sometimes. Oh, I'm not in the NBA yet. Oh, I'm trying to get there. I would uplift them. And I feel I've done a very good part in life and helping them out and understanding that I'm just that guy. I just want energy. I don't believe in negative. I do believe, like I said earlier, they were like speed bumps. Okay, we're over. Let's go. Keep going. And I think the energy that exudes out of me, it's contagious. You've got to feel like you're wanted. You feel you're appreciated when you come. I'm the first one you see join from the airplane and the last person you see. And remember, I went back to understanding that you had to learn to serve before you become the man. So I'd get their apartments together. There are things that you do the dirty things. I'd sweep the floor. I'd do laundry, stay up all night, find a laundromat, just that things were clean for them. So, And most people go, man, coach, you ain't got to do that. Don't do that. Well, no. How are they going to get cleaned? Some people are, I don't want to do that job. I wouldn't do that. No. Don't ever think you're above any job. Mm. No job is beneath you. No one. And that's my attitude. I wanted the best for the players. I wanted the best for the organization. And in the end, I wanted my coach to look fabulous. And if I had any part in doing it, I always wanted it to be positive. From the Reno Bighorns, you went to Dream Hoops as an executive vice president and someone in charge of player development. I don't know what that oof means. What is or was Dream Hoops? I tried to find it. I couldn't find it. And what does it mean to be in charge of player development? I worked under an agency. And college players that would or looking to sign with an agent and had some pro interest, I would also go work them out. I would also talk to them, see if they did have a good character to be represented. Because a lot of people know you don't want to represent a knucklehead. So I would spend weeks at a time with them also working out. I get to see their life, see what they're about. We talk. And if the agency wants to sign them or do they not want to sign them, great. Also skill developing. I got them on the floor. What they can do, what made them great, what made them have this interest, this potential, because it starts off the court. No one is going to pick a bad dude. They're just not. They're investing in them. And I wanted them to understand that, to carry themselves, to be on time, to be very punctual, to understand, talk, to go in a gym and go hard. Give it all you got. And then off the court, you still say, hey, thank you for a workout. Thank you very much for coming to see me. Thank you for even thinking about me. So it was a developing your mind to working for that agency that was very fun. But it was very difficult. 
but also helped me out before my experience beforehand with colleges and stuff. So yeah, it I mean, me it, it's yeah, you know, you were kind of zigging and zagging and trying different glass slippers on to to see whether they were the right fit for you and picking up new skills as you went along. Mm -hmm. Maybe the glass slipper is not the right (laughs) metaphor there. But you you also worked for the Bloomington Flex Professional Basketball, which was founded in 2012. I did. Was that another version of like the basketball league? It is. Yes, ma'am. And that was my first head coaching job. The very first head coaching job. I've been an assistant for years, so I understood how to serve. Now it was my time and I was ready. I was totally prepared for the training of the players to put on a structural practice, training camp, dealing with the players' finances, cutting them, releasing them, I should say, because you just don't cut them in they find out through social media or something, then I'd like to sit them down and talk to them. And I was trained with Musselman and Coach Mo Mokeski helping me with that, understanding this was pro and that this was hard to tell someone, we're going a different way. We're releasing you today. Oh my gosh, that's tough. It's the worst. If anybody knows me, they know that's probably the toughest time in my life because I know further. I know that feeling. I've been there. But guess what? Now, can I change it and make that experience better? So I will say in my exiting meetings, do you have another team? Do you have other interests? How can I help you move forward? Just because this door is shut, and yes, it's shut, can I help you with anything else? And always use me as a reference. That's when, fantastic. When, the, when yeah. the youth knows that, yeah, because you know the youth, they think, man, it's shut down, but I don't want you to go mistreat your woman or your mom or your grandmother because something bad happened to you. I want you to feel that, hey, Coach Wiley's going to help me out. He gave me three numbers. <laughs> He's going to make a call for me. Well, I'm going to make many calls. And that's what I'm going to do. I go above and beyond. I don't think too many people do that. But our league, that's the example of our league. How does coaching pro in like the flex league or the basketball league differ from coaching a high school team? as you did with the girls' varsity team, where you were also the head coach, mm-hmm. and also from working at the collegiate level, which you did, whether it was at Butte College or Montana State. Okay. I think basketball is basketball. I think I had the biggest question, oh, is the girls and guys different? No, basketball is basketball. Okay. And it's how you would like your organization ran. I think when you're a head coach, The biggest thing is change. I keep going back to that. You always have a system in your mind. This is how I want to do it. I'm going to run the motion offense or I'm going to run the flexion. I'm going to do this, the extra. But remember, it's what you have. What do you have as a whole, as your team? And what can you develop? Are we shooters? Because the kids create your identity. They do. So now all you have to do is just put this puzzle together and make it stick and make it awesome. So me going to Montana State, I felt finally, whoo-wee, I get to give a scholarship, which I felt great when we told the kid he was going to get a scholarship to our university. That was awesome. Now when you get to the D-League and you say they're on your team, well, remember, they have aspirations of going where? To the NBA. So don't ever leave that dream. That dream is you. Don't ever take a dream away from a kid or a young man. So now you know they're reaching goals higher. And the greatest thing ever, again, is when you say, hey, the Golden State Warriors are picking you up for an 10-day contract. They're signing you. Oh, my God. If that ain't awesome, you're crying. Tears are all over, right? Then when you coach girls, when I coach like the Flex and I tell them to go overseas, when I get that call, hey, Wiley, I need to guard this. I need a big guy here. I need a guy that can shoot. I got a guy for you. The biggest thing is going into practice, saying, hey, pack your bags, got your passport. Yes, here's this. You're going to Cyprus, Greece. And then they're like, oh, my gosh, let's sit by the fax machine. We're sitting there watching it. Here it comes. And now they're crying and we're good. The greatest thing ever is when you tell girls they're going to college and basketballs can help. And thank God for your grades. You also got this, this, this to help your family out. Oh, that's awesome. That is the best. Once again, 
it's just that I was able to do that, have something to do with that, and I was involved, and that they allowed me to be involved in their lives. Just as well as we moved to the basketball league, we have guys go in and out. I want them to feel appreciated, and then they're moving on. And we love to wave at them and just say, see you later. Just remember us, it's giving them an opportunity again. Remember, I don't want the guys to feel And I don't like to say minor league basketball. I want them to feel they're at the pro level. I really do. That's what comes out of my mouth. They're young men, they're professionals. And I want them to know that every day. And their job, they're not gonna go behind. They'll either go laterally or up, always. And I want them to know, see you later. And just remember us here. And that's why I'm in the position I am now, is right here at this level. I want them to feel special. Their career is still a success, even though they're not in the NBA. But it doesn't mean you're not good enough. You're still there. I just want to open up opportunities more and more. Love it. I just have two final questions for you, Coach. Yeah, of course. Could you share a time in your professional life when you struggled? I've had my periods where I was trying to rebound from losing my job and trying to figure out what direction I wanted to go in. And, you know, we've all had these experiences, good and bad. And honestly, it's where the bad, when I've had the most professional growth. Best, right. So could you share an example and most importantly, how you persevered and a lesson that you may have learned in the process? My biggest thing was being very self-centered on my own of my career. And being in the D-League, did I want to go to the NBA? Absolutely. But there was a small, small little thing, and it's called my precious little girl. And that was a time where I had to choose what was more important to me, my travel or raising my daughter. And I chose to stay home. I could still do what I needed to do. I coached the girls, which was fabulous. But I wanted to be around more for her. She would cry every time I'd pack my bag and sit on it. She still, to this day, writes me little notes when I do travel and I open them up in my hotel room. The little things, Dad, I'm proud of you. Keep doing what you're doing. It really touched me. So I had to figure out. I have always kind of been a big brother, fatherly figure for the guys that I've recruited through these programs, right? But now, Mrs. Andrew, I could not take that away from my child. I didn't want to be that guy. So this is a period of time where I was at my lowest that way, but got offered jobs in China, jobs in Germany. And I just could not do it because of her. I wanted her here. She was stable. I wanted stability in her life. And I choose a different path, which I never regret, never resent. Because I felt that way the moment I was in that air on the airplane. And I said, this will probably be my last time. And I made that decision for her. And I don't want to get too much off of it. I do want to say, please, coaches or anybody that gets into this field, it's very stressful and hard on your family. Please open up to communication. And as you're younger, we're eager as heck. Boy, we want to do it. I totally get it. That's it. That's all. I totally get it and respect you all the more for that decision. I can tell you when CNN didn't renew my contract in 2007, my son was three and a half years old. And the truth is I'd been unhappy since he was born because I was working all the time. Right. You know, like you, traveling, not home. And you only have your children for a certain amount of time, right? I think somebody once said, I wish I could remember. They said, a child is not your property. They're only loaned to you for a brief period of time. Oh, gosh, I never heard that. But thank you for telling me that. Yes. Oh, my God. So that was another reason it was an incredible gift that they didn't renew my contract. Thank you again for sharing that, Coach. I just have one final question for you. Yes. If you could go back to college, go back to Bethany College in Scotts Valley, California, and do it all over again, 
But based on the wisdom you have now, what advice would you give yourself? Be a little bit more open. I wish I could go back and not have that chip on my shoulder. To be open and I was what they called it. I was an aloof. I was very to myself. I wasn't cocky. I was confident. I just wish I could have just had more conversations with other people to really go sit in the cafeteria, not think I'm the honcho guy, the athlete walking around. There wasn't many blacks there. Might have been three black girls and three black guys. And then at the end, it was probably three of us. I wanted to do that more. And just having a nice conversation at the library, people that would help me. I didn't say thank you to people that helped me with a computer. Shoot, we use floppy disk then. And they would help me. And I don't think I was very appreciative of what they were doing to help me and to understand things, to ask more questions when you are in class. And now if it's an email, because I just sat there like a mute, Mm. you know, and half the stuff went way over my head. So then when I learned to sit in front of the class, I was up. I was more attentive, not sitting in the back because I was scared. I was absolutely scared. Not because I thought I was cool, but now I want to sit in the front because I want this grade. I want to learn. I thought I knew it all. I want to go back a little bit more, less chip on the shoulder, more open, and more abrasing just the situation I was in. I was blessed to have all the people around you. I think they are put in your life for a very good reason. And I just want to go back to tell people that I didn't say, just thank you for helping me. There was always someone that always would say, good morning, Wiley. Good morning. We were very intimidated of our professors. Maybe sitting there saying now, hey, you think I can get a minute with you? Absolutely. You said this in class and I didn't understand it. Probably still don't, but I'd like to ask them now, what did they mean by this? Where were you getting at with this? Absolutely. I would love to go back just to say thank you to most and really be a little bit more open. I was so into myself. Oh, Commissioner Wiley, Carnell, I want to thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the T4C community. You are just such an amazing human being. I thank you you so much for your wonderful energy, your unbelievable candor and self-awareness and just wise words. Wow, you're amazing. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.